put it in. And I'd, on this side, and my right ear is to the pillow. And she had continued to say sweet, sweet nothings, and I didn't hear any of it. Uh, but what I did hear was Le- <laughs> Leslie Nope in my head, just kind of sharing and talking and being anxious and all that. So it's like this ongoing joke with me that Leslie Nope whispers sweet nothings in my ears uh, as I go to bed, because this is what I listen to. Leslie Nope is the character in Parks and Rec. Good story, Andrew. Okay. It's great to be with you this morning. I wanted to take a minute before we start uh, and, uh, and just, I'm, I'm, you know, we don't get a chance to do this for everyone. Uh, it's, as our church continues to grow, um, it's really difficult sometimes to send everyone off, especially in a church that is so transient. That's why we're so thankful for our home groups and people who are able to, to pray and send people as they go. But I, I did want to just sort of pray. I was reminded, Heidi reminded me of just... Uh, as Philippe is going off on this really incredibly, you know, difficult journey. Philippe, where are you going? Where is it? Lesotho. Um, that I, I can't imagine the amount of stress and anxiety and things that may be creeping in, even as you're feeling this sense of calling. So I just, one last time, again, we're a praying church. So if we could just, um, if you want to put your hand out, feel free to do that. But we're just going to pray for Philippe. Maybe if you're around him, you can just lay hands on him. Lord, I thank you for Philippe. I thank you for um, him hearing, Lord, your call in all of this. And um, I, I ask you, Lord, for, for protection, not in the protection the way the world seeks, but Lord, protection against um, the things that would cause him to, to leave the call that he's, you put on his heart, the things that would dissuade him from being the force of love and justice um, that he's called to be in this space, Lord. We do pray for his physical safety, Lord. We do ask you, Lord, that you would keep him and protect him. We ask that you'd bring him in this time where it could be very alienating friends. Lord, would you, just a few people, even one person, Lord, who loves you, who we can get together with and pray with and serve and, and bless, Lord, alongside. Uh, Lord, and would you continue to bring Philippe to mind in our church uh, and continue to pray for him and uh, send him love, Lord. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I've uh, done some version of this on Labor Day weekend the last couple years. For those of you who are new, we're a fairly new church plant. About four years in, we just celebrated our four-year anniversary. And, and so what starts to develop are rhythms. You realize like, oh, this always feels good this time of year. And what always feels good for me somehow, it, it feels like in the life of church and school and work, uh, especially in Rhode Island, this is sort of the last Sunday, you know, before things tend to kick in. Uh, even talking to friends of mine who don't have kids or not going back to school, something just even in their work life shifts right after Labor Day. And so there's something about Labor Day that feels like this last kind of moment before the energy of the fall just kicks in, right? This is like the first cool Sunday we've had in a long time. <laughs> Amen? Like, we turned the fans off. It's amazing. Um, and it just feels like even the, the temperature change feels like it's just kind of ushering in a new season. And so what I, I love to do is basically do a really big communion reflection, which may not sound like the most enticing teaching ever. But I love to reorient ourselves um, around why we take the bread and the cup. And there's all sorts of reasons why. 
We could talk about Israel's history. We could talk about the meaning of the cross and the various meanings that come out in scripture of what's happening on the cross. We could talk about the work of being reconciled. Today, I wanna talk about like the meal itself and the, the power essentially of coming together on a Sunday, like rallying the crew together around something that regardless of your theological persuasion, what stream you come from in, uh, in Christianity, uh, even those of you who, who maybe are, are, again, in a place we mentioned before of just exploring, maybe a little feel disconnected, there's something about the table that reminds us that God is reconciling all things to himself. That's a passage from the scriptures. That God in some way through the cross and resurrection, the work of his spirit and the church is bringing all things together. I mean, that's a view of history, right? Even if you wanna lie to yourself, even if this whole thing can just be sort of a watered down, you know, opiate of the masses moment, whatever for you. I mean, at least hold on to those kinds of ideas that somehow there's actually a hope that everything is being put back together. We get to join with God in putting it back together and we'll ultimately someday fully be put back together. Like what, what a vision. We've spoken of this before. You hear this in TED Talks. You hear this in like presidential rallies. You hear this uh, whenever there's um, often major race issues because uh, Dr. King would quote this often. Um, the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. You ever heard that phrase before? The moral arc of the universe bends towards You hear it out of sometimes people's mouths. I mean, someone like a Dr. King obviously is a follower of Jesus, is firmly rooted in the story. But then there's some you hear say it and you're like, I, as far as I know, you, you don't have a, a, some larger sense of faith and story. It's just sort of this disconnected belief that things might get better. And yet history literally tells us the opposite. We are repeating cycles, just more advanced and complicated. We know this. We look at the 20th century and the enlightenment was supposed to bring us great peace and joy and a, a brand new step forward in human consciousness and it it hasn't done that. We can simply look to world wars, the rise of terrorism, Hitler, Stalin. We can look and look around and see there's a myth of progress in those sorts of ways, that it's not just some abstract, disconnected sense of everything's just gonna get better. Just hold on, put out some good vibes. No, when you say a statement like the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice, you're saying some things about what you believe is at play in the world. And as followers of Jesus, we know where that statement, literally that statement comes from. It comes from this story that gets told to us at the, at the table. It gets told to us at the table. Um, how many of you are obsessive, compulsive in taking pictures and videos? Anyone like really, really, really have a problem with documentation? I'd like you to take a second really quick, for those of you who may be uh, guilty of this. Now, this is a bad thing. Can you check out your phone and just look at your photos? I'm gonna do the same here. How many photos do you have on your phone? I mean, if we could really do this right, it would be proportional to the amount of space you actually have on your phone. I've got 14,756. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's why I have the microphone. 
Anybody else have more than that? What do you got? 17,197. Woohoo! Elizabeth Achilles. You got more? What do you got? 21,000 for the win. Do I hear 22? Do I hear 23? 22,000. Wow. We have a special communion station for you up front. <laughs> I love photography. I love taking pictures. I love documentation. But we, it's been really easy now that our cameras and our, 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 uh, our video cameras are now in our hands. We become obsessed with documentation. Uh, we want to capture everything. Uh, and it's, it is producing, right, of all the beauty, of all the ways we're capturing. There's a number of effects that studies are speaking to uh, that aren't so good. You know, a couple of those is, is we're, we're, we're not actually remembering as much. So the very thing that we want to do is make sure we remember this event. If I have 14,000 photos on my phone... Apparently something's happening like with the neurons in my brain that's causing me because I'm taking the picture to not remember it in the same way. And do I really think I'm gonna go back to photo 9,736 at some point in my life to check that? Especially if my average photos is like eh, a couple thousand a year. Like I have not once looked back through iPhoto and been like, oh, I remember those moments. Anyone be like, I don't even do that. <laughs> but we wanna canonize because we're obsessed with remembering we want this moment to stick around. We're obsessed with remembering. When Jesus comes before his disciples and they share this meal together, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And I would humbly submit, I, I know we say this often here at Sanctuaries, we are prone to forget. We are prone to forget. If you wanted to remember a moment over and over that was so meaningful to you, what do you normally do with one of those photos? Print it out usually, right? So radical. Analog photos, get into it. <laughs> right? We print it out. We put it in a frame. We put it in a book. Messed up. Old school. <laughs> we do this, right? Because we want to make sure when we go buy it on the mantle, we see it. Because that moment, that photo of so-and-so that passed away that was so meaningful to you, like you want to make sure that you remember them. That, that moment when your kids were still small, because it's not the same anymore, anymore and the relationships are a little different. In fact, they're hard at this season. But you want to remember that because you remember, you remember what that felt like, those moments. A friend of mine tells a story uh, of a woman. Uh, it was his aunt, his great aunt, and she had passed away, and she was single, and nobody really knew much about her love life, if there even was one. She died at, I think, 85 or something like that. And he tells the story uh, of how when they were going through her stuff to sort out where it would go and what they would be doing with everything, they came upon a little photo album and right in the front, kind of like embedded on the, or glossed on the top or something slid in on the top was a photo of this man. And then it was a, like a, some letters and some things like that, but this one photo. And, and they realized, I started to put the pieces together, is that a, a big part of this story, apparently she had shared this with one other family member. The photo was to remind herself that she had been loved. 
there was a moment where somebody loved her so much and that in her old age, she wouldn't get delusional and, and, and wouldn't think that she was making this person up just to make herself feel better. She wanted to know, even though she had remained single and hadn't had a lot of close community, that there was somebody who loved her so much that at one time, she was theirs. They cared for her. And so when the dementia set in, when the loss in memory set in, she wouldn't be able to trick herself out of thinking, oh, I'm probably just making this up. And that photo apparently was much more than just remembering the person. It was remembering that feeling in that moment. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three? Paul's talking about the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, some call it mass, It's what this central moment in the life of the gathered people of God has been for a long time. It's why this room is designed the way that it is. If you've ever noticed, the the pulpit is actually, I should be preaching up there from the crow's nest. Why? Because though the word is important, should be elevated, what's most important? What's at the center of this room? What does this whole room point toward? The giant screen. (laughs) The table. This is the table. Our table often becomes communion on the subwoofers. It's just because we're low church. But on the screen, (laughs) it was a joke. There were layers to that that were brilliant that none of you got. This this is where, where you would go. And in fact, the pastors and the elder leaders would go and prepare the elements. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Paul's received some word, some understanding of God, and so he is passing this on to us. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So, body, bread, blood, cup. We good? So far? So, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So essentially he says what at the end? The end of this little section, what's he saying? Take this seriously. Right? We read that language and we get, oh, that's really harsh, Paul. He's saying, take what you're about to do really seriously. Verse 28, for everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So let's do this. Let's take a moment, right? We're about to take the Eucharist together. Let's take a moment and do what Paul says, examine ourselves. Put two feet on the floor, maybe extend a palm open, maybe close your eyes, take a knee. Let's take a deep breath. And let's, let's use Paul's words. Let's examine ourselves. 
What are you frustrated about today? Is there any rage, anger that's sitting below the surface? Is there anyone who's wronged you or you have wronged them? Is there like relationship tension? What is it? What started it? Where does that literally sit in you? Is it right in the front of your mind? Is it buried in the back? But you know you have to deal with it. Proverbs says the soul has deep waters. You are complex in the depth of your being. If you were to go swimming in the depths of your soul, what would you find? What are you stressed about, worried about, burdened by? What did you bring through these doors? Where are you at? There's something in you that feels like I, I shouldn't even be in this church if anybody knew what I had done this week. Maybe you're crippled by doubt. Maybe you're on the verge of giving up on something you know you shouldn't give up on. What did you bring through these doors? about what's there apparently is one of the most important steps in coming to this table so let's leave it there unresolved Paul says examine yourself examining yourself right is to is to like pull it all up and have the guts to face what's really going on I love this This is like why, one of the many reasons I love the body of Christ and why I love Sundays, why I love home groups, why I love spaces where we can just have a moment and be honest with ourselves or in home groups where we can be honest with others. The church is like this counterculture insurgency against the constant speed and numbing of our world. You're fine, you're fine, your best is yet to come. Your best is yet to come. Hide it, dodge it, hide it, numb, go, keep moving. You'll figure it out on the other end. Just get to 65, baby, you'll be good. That script sits below the surface and not that below the surface. And just like a hum and church is this counterculture, like insurgency group, revolutionary body that says, stop, reorient yourself around that which is true. Stop and examine yourself. Be aware and honest with what's really going on in your heart and be able to do that with an assurance as a follower of Jesus that you are forgiven and loved. Now that we've taken a moment and gotten really sad, I wanna show you a picture, not that one. Some of you have seen this around. uh, This also is a tattoo that I have without the love providence part. I know I've explained this to some of you, but I wanted to just mention um, 
one that I realize that as we have uh, revisited this branding for our outward focused ministry, this is sort of our community renewal movement banner, that at the Love Providence event that we just did on Tuesday that you saw all these pictures of, right? The mayor was there. And so I have a, a loose connection uh, with the mayor. We see each other often. We say, hi, we're pleasant with each other. You know, he knows who, who, uh, who I am. And uh, I often, in the summer, am wearing a t-shirt. And so as we walk in, he begins to look around and see all of these lanyards with that on it. He knows that we are a church, and he sees that their pastor has this on its arm. Can you see where I'm going with this? This was an unfortunate moment where he just turns, he's like, I, I've seen that before. And all I could think of, oh my gosh, this looks like a cult. There's a bunch of people walking around with the pastor's tattooed symbol on them going around, handing out school supplies. Like, yeah, yeah, we have to rethink that one a little bit. The reason why I got this tattoo as a 30-something-year-old dad was because I was having a quarter-life crisis. No, um, I got this because this, this is just a tattoo, right? And so there's the first layer of symbol. The first one is if you were to turn that on its side like this, everything on, I'll just refer to it here, on the bottom side of the line are people in the world and everything on the top are resources. So imagine again, this is on its side. The most amount of people usually have the least amount of resources. The least amount of people usually have the most. There's always a middle class. It's a statement, an economic statement of status quo. This is how things always seem to be. Few people have all the resources. Most of the people don't have much at all. And there's always some people kind of stuck in the middle. Really riveting symbol. The reason why I turned on its side and put the dash through it was a symbol of hope. It was a symbol of hope. It meant something to me. Like this is the world doesn't have to be the way that everyone says it has to be. Now I could explain that to you. And then I usually just end with, and I also just like thick black lines and thought it looked kind of cool. Great, there's my tattoo. Now that has some meaning and that illuminates a little bit of the story, but it doesn't tell you why I got it tattooed on me. Unless I'm just really into economic theory symbols. Because in my 20s, I did a lot of stuff. And when it came to things of church, and I, I was a dabbler. And, uh, and as God kind of arrested my heart and gave me a vision for what the church could be if it was being who it was called to be, a, a vision of church from the scriptures, one of the first things that I didn't just talk about doing, didn't just have Andrew's really passionate, Andrew has lots of vision, but no follow through, it wasn't like that. That was like the mantra spoken over most of my life because it was mostly true. It was the first thing I actually did. A bunch of us moved into South Providence. We got a house and we began to figure out how to get to know neighbors. And it was messy and it wasn't always great. But we started doing refugee work. We started after school art programming. We started doing community development work. We started befriending neighbors. And basically the seeds of what happened in this nonprofit that we were starting called Love Providence was the church. This actually predates sanctuary as a church body. So that all of a sudden, right, gives it a layer of meaning. Oh, that's really cool. So it's like the first thing Andrew's 20s got up off his butt and actually did, right? Actually put his hand to the plow for, and, and that's a pretty, that's like shows all, whatever. Actually, then there's another layer. 
there was this really, really cute blonde girl who wanted to intern with me. Intern. She likes to joke. She did what she had to do to get ahead. We started to hang out. <laughs> started to hang out. And uh, our meetings, which were her helping me set up systems because she's organized and she's like just really good at taking um, high vision and putting together like, you know, really comprehensive steps. And we start meeting and talking and planning. And then our meeting and talking went from like, we should get coffee at 11 in a sterile Starbucks to like, hey, let's like meet up, you know, at the end of the day and we could talk, keep talking about spreadsheets. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, sure. That sounds great. And then all of a sudden we were like, you know, we should probably keep, we should have dinner. You know, we should probably have dinner. Right. And then all of a sudden we were making out. It was great. (laughs) Just being honest, search my heart, know my soul. Um, So over the course of a summer, the love of my life, I met on mission, serving, doing something God had called me to do. Right. Like that, and and so I'm not expecting you to like break into tears over that story, but you can understand for me, this thing has some weight to it. This thing is loaded with potential (laughs) to move my spirit and stir my heart. Imagine showing up at TF Green Airport and you're seeing what is a normal scene, people coming down off the escalators, and there's a cup, there's a, a, a two women kind of off in the corner, just hugging and holding each other. And they're, they're just like really happy to see each other, and there's some tears. It's a pretty normal scene at an airport. Probably touches your, oh, it's so sweet, they're reunited. And what you may not know about this couple is that this is the first time they're seeing one another really ever since they, or since they were little. Because the mom, she um, was fighting a, a drug habit and her husband had left. And so when the baby was only at age two, she decided she could not keep this child and put the child up in the foster care system. Years later, um, the, the, the child reaches out, finds out who mom actually is and reaches out sort of end of high school, needing some sense connection and closure. They have a conversation on the phone. There's a lot of heated words. Why did you leave me? I've been through this awful thing. It was really difficult, but they decided, hey, we should at least keep in contact. There are a few emails and conversations that went back over the years. She let her know, her mom know when she got married, but wasn't comfortable having her come to the wedding or anything like that. And then um, the child ended up having kids. And after having the second kid, she started to realize, I want my kids to know who their grandma is. In fact, I wanna know more who my mom is because being a mom, I don't know what to do with all this. And so she reaches back out and after a couple exchanges of emails and phone numbers, they finally decide, let's do this. And so she, the child flies in, TF Crane and mom comes over and they embrace. So what you're looking at is a wonderful scene really encouraging moment that's so sweet but what's actually happening is there's story there's layers and once you know the backstory everything becomes alive the issue is whether or not you're tuned to the backstory communion is when we take the bread and dip it in the cup but it isn't just bread and it isn't just a cup for a follower of Jesus if you know the backstory 
it becomes more true and beautiful than just the elements in front of us. Communion is about knowing the story of the hug or the tattoo, the way these things speak to deeper realities. And, and when we allow ourselves to enter into the story that this simple piece of bread and this simple cup is showing to us, we allow it to heal us. It's why in many traditions, it's not just that they build the room around the Eucharist. They believe like the Eucharist almost has like magical powers. Like it's a thin place. Like there's something that happens, like almost in the same way when you see the photo that you walk by, that you wanna remember dad who passed away and you see the photo and you're like, it catches you off guard. It's almost like the photo has principles. It's a thin place between you and your dad that you lost. It's moments where I remember and I look down at this like simple little three black lines and I remember the plight of the poor and I remember the mission that's come together even around my own marriage and what God has called me to do. It's moments where all of a sudden these things become so much, they, there's actually some principle and property to it. And the early church always tried to make sense of what is, what's happening when we come and we take the bread and we dip it in the cup, when not only do we remember the backstory, but we actually step into it. Communion is loaded with weight. It says in verse 26, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For us, when do we take communion? In the past, present, or future? This is a really uh, simple question. Where do we take it? Where are we gonna take it in two seconds? Are we gonna take it in the past, in the present, or in the future? Present, great, we're gonna take the communion right now. We're gonna take the Eucharist. It happens in the present, but we're proclaiming the Lord's death when Jesus died on the cross. When you take this in the present, you're proclaiming Christ's death, which is an event in the past. Jesus died, rose again, conquering death. The past is somehow rushing into the present and we are remembering the story of what God has done for us. And then it says, until he comes. When you do this in the present, when you take the bread in the cup, you are doing this until he comes, a future event. Now Jesus calls this until he comes a couple things. He calls it the renewal of all things. Those are Jesus' exact words of when he comes back, the renewal of all things. Peter calls it the restoration of all things. Paul calls it the reconciliation of all things. God's plan to restore this earth here and now, to redeem it and to heal the world, make it a better plan. No, Michael Jackson references. This is what he does until he comes until he comes and makes all things new. We remember the past, Christ's body broken and blood poured out our savior and the work that he's done. And we remember how the story is going to end. We remember the arc of the story. When you take this, you are entering into the story. And if you know the story, then taking the bread and the cup become loaded with meaning. It's why when we come to the table, we ask, do you have anything in your past that's unresolved? Do you have anything in your past that's unreconciled, that's unforgiven? Have you done anything that you are ashamed of? Have you committed any sins? Are you carrying shame and guilt like it's weight on your shoulders? Then when you take the bread and the cup, you invite God to take the past into the present 
so that you can be forgiven at peace and reconciled? Is there anything you've been carrying around and it's time to leave it where it belongs in the past with the buried Jesus where it needs to rise again to new life? Communion, Eucharist, it's like a photograph. They reassure us that something that seems too good to be true, something that we might even be like suspect of or something that we suspect we have invented really happened. We're told in scripture, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and forgives them. Confess means to agree. That's why we just examined ourselves We agree. Essentially, we are saying, God, I really messed this up. I wronged you and I wronged others and I claim the forgiveness that's in Jesus. And the moment when you take this bread, the past comes racing into the present. And in the same way, the future comes racing back into the past. Maybe you're going through something incredibly difficult right now and you feel like it is going to go on forever. You feel like there is no hope for this thing. We take this and we hear the words until he comes. Because the future hope that God is putting all things back together and ultimately will in some final and conclusive way. We have a hope. We have a hope. Communion is when you come to the bread and the cup and are aware that there is a story here. What is it this morning that you need to hear from God about? Is it strength? Is it peace? Is it hope? The resolve to do the right thing? Where do you need to be reminded that we are living in a story where there is a fixed point in the past where death has been conquered and a fixed point in the future where he's going to put it all back together again. I think if we don't do this every week, for those of you who are part of our community, you know we do this every week, almost every week, then life begins to become a little bit like a, just, just a tattoo and just a hug in an airport. Those flowers that your spouse brought, they're just flowers. Life begins to become thin. More than ever, reminders like this that I'm giving are for especially those that know this story well. Because we are ones most prone to forget to live into it. We, as followers of Jesus, our story is that we should be trusting more and more the work that God has done. This is what it means to be centered on the gospel. It means that we would be free of shame, free of guilt, And that we are people who live with a freedom from the fear of death. 
with a hope and a resolve to charge into the most brutal and difficult scenarios of this world and be people of life and hope. People that get to join with this redemptive story and be able to dance, dance, dance on the chaos and brokenness of this world. Not shoving it down and pretending like it's like not there, but to be able to be people of joy. This story for me this morning, this week, as I've been reflecting on it, it produces joy. So I was acting like an idiot over here while we were singing. Joy, this is the story that we're a part of. And it doesn't change just because you are having a hard day. That should be refreshing to you, right? That should feel so good. This story doesn't change even if you want it to, even if you're tired and haven't thought of it, even if you're not living into the good news that Jesus is king, you have been saved by grace through faith and invited to join him in the life of heaven right now. We get to to trust that story when we come to the table, even when we're like nowhere near that in our minds. That brings me peace. This is why I think, honestly, this is gonna sound like a really lame place to land it. That's why I think coming to church is so important. I think it's so important to come and regroup. No matter how bad the sermon is, how jacked up the music is, how much it's your style, not your style, whatever it is, to come and take the bread and dip it in the cup with others around you. And hear someone say, Christ's body broken for you, his blood poured out for you. The past, let it come rushing into the present, what God has done, and the future of what God will do. Come rushing back into the present and allow this story as we head into a new year. New year. As we head into a new school season, as we head back into classrooms, as, we, as work ramps up again, as we don't foresee a break till Thanksgiving, whatever it is, knowing that there's a lot to be done. As we head into this more than ever, we need to remember the story that we are a part of, a story that produces a joy and a peace. To my brothers and sisters here who have a hard time with all of this, who maybe wished I had spoken about uh, convincing proof for X, Y, or Z, or here, because you heard this is a safe place to doubt and question and make sense of your faith. There will be plenty of time and space for that, but what I want to ask you to do is allow this story, even if for you it's just an old wise tale, it's the tortoise and the hare. It's just another story that helps people feel, even if that's that for you, I want to encourage you to try it, to make believe. I want to encourage you to begin to do this. Jesus speaks, the writers talk about, uh, as you begin to adhere to Jesus's teachings, you will begin to know who he is. You will begin to know and experience the king of all as you begin to experience the life of God, as you begin to practice the life, you will be amazed at what will begin to happen. And for my brothers and sisters who are here, for all the students, man, it's so good to see you, like who are back and ready and fired up for what God has for you this fall.
May this moment be a sort of reset around the story. The good news of Jesus.